0: Welcome back to another episode of But Where Are You From? And today I had the absolute pleasure of talking with Elizabeth, aka Fem Castrise on Instagram. We have been Instagram friends for a couple of months now, a few months, and we first were connected through Carly Wu, my friend. We talked about her growing up in Wuhan, and then we went straight into weird dick pics that she's been sent. One involves sushi, that's right, and her career and life as a sex worker and how it really formed her thinking around feminism and gender politics as well as talking about the usual Asian fetishization because we love to talk about that here. We also talked a bit about slut shaming and how that happens so often in our society as well as talking about how those feelings that we had as kids when we would feel like we want to touch ourselves. Masturbation and how it's just not talked about. Super, super interesting and the first time that I've ever admitted that anywhere. So it was a really wonderful and funny and insightful chat and Elizabeth was just so incredibly generous with sharing parts of her life story. So I really hope you enjoy and learn something from today's episode. (laughs) so welcome Elizabeth thank you so much for coming onto the podcast (laughs) thanks for having me we we've been kind of um talking on Instagram I think I found you through Carly my friend Carly who's part of be seen and I think I found you through her I can't remember how now but we we've just been kind of messaging every so often on Instagram haven't we and like you'll send me dick pics that you get sent (laughs)
1: Oh my God, the sushi one, yeah, that was that was not very nice, but I didn't want to be the only person that saw it, so I was sending it to everyone.
0: <laughs> Can you tell the listeners what the sushi, and and does this happen often? So dick pics that you, you get sent, does this happen quite a lot?
1: It actually doesn't happen that often, but I think the problem is, is that my Instagram name is Femme Castrice, and it's sort of like a play right. upon the Freudian concept of castration anxiety, because I read a book um, called The Monstrous Feminine by Barbara Creed, where she uses... Um, Freudian theory and twists it around um, and applies that to horror films so she had this term called the femme castrice that I thought was really funny so I used Mm -hmm. that as my Instagram name but the problem is that nobody seems to understand that you know there's like a funny idea behind it so and then through that I discovered that uh, there's a fetish out there that some men have and apparently this is very common to be castrated so they must have. Started-
0: Isn't that actually like um actually castrated? So um, chopping off know. the penis, or or like just the idea of it, the fantasy of it.
1: I assume it must be the fantasy of it. Otherwise, I mean, it would just be like the Darwin Awards, wouldn't it? <laughs> But yeah, they, they jump into my DMs, they, in my message requests, asking me if I'm into castration, whether or not I'll castrate them. Um, I just obviously, I usually I just don't really bother engaging. Sometimes if I'm bored, mm. I'll just back to them and sort of like ask them how they started, <laughs> why they have this particular fetish, not to be ashamed about it or anything, but yeah. I'm not going to obviously talk with them about castrating them. Um mm. But yeah, so one day I opened up my inbox and this guy that's been trying to contact me for a while. um, (laughs) Oh my God, and he knows I'm talking about him.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Like he said, he's sending those pictures. I'm sure he's fine with that. We're not going to, we're not going to let people know what his name is. So yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I opened it up and then he's cut a hole at the bottom of a styrofoam box and put his erect (laughs) penis through the hole so it looks like it's lying there like a sausage next to some sushi and some dip
0: it just (laughs) well firstly like you don't typically have like sausage with sushi so i feel like that's just a really random combination and secondly why sushi like is it because you're asian and so he just thinks sushi goes well I mean, I this think will I, appeal.
1: Maybe why, but also, when do
0: you ever get sushi
1: in a styrofoam box? It is yeah. an insult for a gourmet. <laughs> I mean,
0: just why? And also, why? Why are they getting so creative with these Yeah, dick? it's so creative. <laughs> just, just send a normal dick pic. Just send an erect penis of like you in bed or a mirror selfie. Whatever. Does it have to be in a styrofoam box? Yeah. I wonder whether he actually ate the sushi afterwards. <laughs>
1: Oh my God! No, surely not. Surely not. I mean,
0: be a waste I mean, though, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. So you get quite a few of these types yeah. of pictures. Yeah,
1: I do get quite a few. Yeah, and um, yeah. Well, I think we. I think you followed me after I had a massive rant about Asian fetishization, actually. And I think mm. Carly um, shared some of my rants, and I think um, that's how we connected.
0: Right yes yes yeah that certainly rings a bell now. I feel like it's one of those things that is rarely talked about in terms of more so from a like we talk about it from a dating perspective but even as far as like a sexual perspective like it's not really talked about that much in our society. I feel like it's still it's still very taboo isn't it to talk about what how men perceive Asian women to be
1: yeah yeah definitely I mean yeah me mm. and my parents have never r- spoken about how men perceive Asian women to be I mean mm. I don't know I feel like surely they must be aware <laughs> it's kind of hard not to when you've lived here for so long but yeah I don't know why it's not really spoken about um mm. it's something that I've spoken about with other Asian women around about my age because you know it's yeah kind of avoidable for us but with the older generation it's not really spoken about and I do actually wonder as well because my aunt is single and she lives in London and mm. uh, hope she never listens to this. <laughs> but apparently, she was dating a white guy for a while and I heard this from my cousin. And like, you know what I mean, like, knowing this sort of thing about your family members is just like,
0: Whoa, really? Yeah,
1: yeah. But again, apparently, she didn't really want my cousin to know that she was dating a white man. She would be like, trying to find right. conversations and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it's still all very taboo isn't the word for it. I don't but there's, do you know what I mean? It's still not very spoken.
0: Yeah, yeah, perhaps it's not taboo. Perhaps it's just like, I don't know, especially, yeah, especially on social media. I feel like I'm seeing it way more now. I feel like it's it's been discussed way more now. Um, but I think amongst like white men, <laughs> they even, the, the ones that even like would have, those kind of tendencies to date Asian women, they wouldn't even question why and why it it potentially seen as an issue. And I've mentioned it so many times, like in dating scenarios where I've been like, I just asked straight up, have you dated Asian women before? Just literally just to see what the reaction is. And if they're like, oh no, I haven't, then like okay you, you can pass that's fine <laughs> yeah but then if it goes into like oh no but I've always wanted to I'm like oh that's gross have you had that before then so obviously you talked about it so
1: yeah exactly the same as you and I don't even know when I first started noticing this probably the minute I started noticing boys uh, and noticing mm. that this is extra interest in me that is very sinister um, yeah, I would do the same as you. I would try and find out if they have ever been in a serious relationship or or attempt to date Asian women regularly before. And um, and but even before that, I can tell because I suppose you've got a third sense when you can tell someone's interested in you in that way. And then yeah. if you start asking questions about being Asian right away. It's just a bit like,
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> You're not going yeah. to the next round. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's so annoying. Like even like just just now I've been uh, speaking to someone on a date on Hinge and he has been very like re- replying back straight away. But I noticed that on his, uh, inst- you can see people's Instagram on dating apps. Um, he used to live in Korea. So instantly I'm like, okay, okay, right. Fair enough. We can't discredit someone for living in an Asian country, but also big indication that he might have an inclination towards Asian people and it puts me off instantly
1: yeah yeah, it's it's really stressful and this is something that people I think they don't really I think this is something that other Asian women all acknowledge amongst ourselves that we all have to do these things to sort of make sure we don't end up with a creepy fetishizing (laughs) (laughs) um you know but it is really stressful things like that and yeah that would definitely Mm alarm bells everywhere I mean it's not enough Mm -hmm. to immediately disqualify him but certainly I would say like be disqualifying him 60% he would just need another 40% for (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: a minefield it's a minefield so I wanted to start off with asking the question that I've been asking every single guest but where are you from Elizabeth where are you from (laughs) the name of the podcast I am from
1: (laughs) I say I'm from (laughs) Wuhan.
0: Oh god. Oh,
1: yes.
0: I just I can't even imagine when people ask you that now. Just how do you feel when you when you tell people that you're from Wuhan
1: now? I find it really funny to be honest. If you try to say anything <laughs> about coronavirus, I'm just like, well, sorry, but it's everybody else's problem now. I think they're fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're okay now. Yeah, they're yeah. okay now. It's your problem. Um yeah, um, I'd say I'm from Wuhan. I actually was born in Shang Fan. Um mm. well when I lived there, it was called Shang Yang, but the name has now changed to Shang Fan, I think. Shang um, mm. Fan. Um, but I most remember living in Wuhan. Yeah. My dad was doing his PhD, or yeah, he was doing his PhD there, and then he finished his PhD and we moved to Belfast, um, mm. which was an interesting place to go to during that time.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah. and i asked him about this and his response was oh um you know they were too busy fighting amongst themselves to notice the foreigners which is absolutely <laughs> correct
0: <laughs> really yeah. so that was your experience then so they just kind of left foreigners to it
1: yeah yeah because clearly you could yeah. be catholic or protestant or whatever if you were not mm. so yeah
0: yeah oh that's so interesting so how long were you living in belfast for then three years
1: yeah for my dad's doctorate and then once you finished that we moved to edinburgh
0: mm. and you you mentioned like we we spoke on instagram and you mentioned how you listened to su chung's podcast uh, su chung's episode where she talks a lot about kind of her traumatic childhood and everything and you mentioned how to me how you could relate to that in in some way so what was your family life growing up then like really
1: difficult and this is the thing is that mm. I left at seven I was born under the um the one child policy and then yeah. I left China at seven and then I was kind of isolated because of the cultural differences anyway I mean I was mm. Catholic primary school um and even when I came over to Edinburgh I was still sort of quite isolated because you know, like social skills in two different cultural contexts are very different as well. So it took me a very long time to learn how to interact with Western culture the way that I do now. And um, mm. um, so, yeah, I was very isolated, but I didn't have a great relationship with my mom. And for ages, I thought it was because I was becoming more Western while well, she remained more Chinese. But now I realize that I think my mum maybe is just quite difficult. Um, mm. And I get the impression that maybe Sue had the same Like I've not read her book, but from listening to the podcast, I got the impression maybe she had a similar experience with her family. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was quite traumatic. She was very physically abusive and also emotionally abusive. And for ages, I always thought that was just like a Chinese thing, that it was a cultural thing. But now I don't think it was, or at least not to the extent that she was doing it for.
0: Oh I'm so sorry to hear that and I think like you know obviously within Asian cultures to some extent we do normalize you know parents being abusive in some way you know like there's memes about like parents hitting you with slippers or like scolding you if you didn't get good grades but then where where is that line and and there should be a line between that where it's kind of you know you, you still grow up in a loving household versus um an abusive um domestic upbringing and you know for you to be on your own I can only imagine like how difficult that must have been to navigate just not having anyone to you know soundboard off and be like is this normal or <laughs> is this not
1: yeah yeah exactly I mean it's only recently that now I'm thinking I, I think she definitely took it to the extreme <laughs> um yeah. but you know it happened <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear. So, going into your teens, then you made a decision to to leave home at the age of seventeen, or you you run away from home. So you say. Yeah, well, I
1: actually left a bit earlier than that. I met a boy, and then I basically moved Mm. into his house. I think in a desperate attempt to get away from my mom. Um, Mm. when I was sixteen, and I'd left school basically, like I wasn't really going to school before then anyway. Um. Mm. Yeah, because I was just like, not really, I didn't really have any friends, didn't get on with my mum. Yeah, yeah, so I left. And then when I was 17, I started stripping and it was literally just like an absolute burst of freedom to have like Mm. the financial freedom and also just to have the freedom of like being who I wanted to be and having the escapism of like fantasy play and everything. It was just, yeah, it was revolutionary for me.
0: So talk a bit about how you, how, how did you get into it? Like what, who introduced you to this world? Or how did you find this world, the shipping world?
1: Um, I don't know. I think, I think one of my friends came around and she was talking about how she did it and how she made loads of money and how it was like great fun. And I just thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to do that when I turn 18. Because, you know, at that time, like my boyfriend at the time didn't work at all. I mean, he would try to work, but he would just, he smoked far too much weed you know (laughs) um and I was doing 12-hour shifts in this call center I was doing 12-hour shifts at Epsilon's Mori to cover the rent for both of us um Mm. and then I ended up getting sacked from that job um I can't remember I think I just said something wrong on the phone and the supervisor (laughs) pulled me up about it and next thing I knew I was gone and that was it oh my Um, gosh yeah no and I was supporting my boyfriend um and myself Mm. Um, and this was when I just turned 17 and I remembered my friend saying that she'd done that job that she'd been stripping and it was great fun and she made loads of money and I just thought well it looks like I'm just gonna have to try and start a little bit earlier <laughs> than I expected. <laughs> um, mm. So yeah I was just walking past a club and it was the Sapphire Rooms on Lothian Road in Edinburgh. It no longer exists, this is how long ago it was, I think this would have been mm. 2008. Um, yeah I was just walking past the club and I just went in and obviously I was underage but I just thought no one's going to ask if I act confident enough surely mm. and that's how it all started I honestly thought I would only do it for three months or something when I started and I thought I'll go get a normal job after this this would be a fun little thing that I'll dip my toes in onto and back on my feet mm. But I end up staying for so much longer and my relationship with it has been so complicated and it's evolved so much over time
0: because yeah, it's, it's such a skill stripping is such a skill like you have you have a lot of strength and also like coordination and everything else so did you have any like dancing experience before or anything like that before you started
1: absolutely not the only thing I had in my favor was the fact that I was a massive tomboy when I was younger so I would go about like climbing trees all the time and you know, mm. all sorts of stuff so I was quite good at climbing so that really that's the one thing Like, <laughs> I had to climb the pole right away because I would climb things all the time when I was a child <laughs>
0: Oh my God, if I, I just imagine me trying to do it, I'd be so shit. I I couldn't cling on to the pole for dear life, even if my my life depended on it. I'd just like slide down and be like, this is the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) So then did you have to audition?
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the things I look back on now and I feel like had I done a bit more research, I would have been a bit more clever about it because I auditioned and I auditioned Mm. by giving right so one of the dancers gave me a lap dance I remember just like watching her bum hypnotically like
0: yeah
1: waving in front of me just like whoa this is really nice <laughs> <laughs> and, like whoa she's really hot like, was she doing this magnetic hypnotic movement mm. never going to be that good um and then pretty much I think I then tried to give her a lap dance very awkwardly and then my audition was then to give the club manager a lap dance he was this old man in his 50s his name was Alex fuck you Alex you're an asshole Um, and yeah because I later on yeah fuck you Alex because I later on read that that's most definitely unethical you're supposed to give another girl a lap dance and the manager is supposed to watch it through the camera to Mm. assess that you're okay at dancing yeah you're not supposed to give the fucking manager a free lap dance you know what I mean but yeah the whole thing he just sat there and watched like some sort of kind grandfather at his grandchild's birthday party with a smile on his face
0: oh oh no oh that's so weird and and so like obviously being kind of like the first foray into you doing that you wouldn't have known the practices in terms of what's deemed acceptable and, and what's not and it's it's so horrible that this man alex seemed to have exploited that yeah knowing that it was your first gig and you were young etc it must have happened so much
1: yeah yeah I think it does because I, that's where I read it online and someone was like yeah that is just definitely not supposed to happen it really needs to stop so if you are a new uh, stripper don't do it and mm. you know it's just yeah the lack of regulation means that yeah you can really take advantage
0: yeah and then do you do you remember your first like actual gig then an actual first time Yeah
1: yeah well the first night was absolutely awful I made no money I think I made like 12 pound or something and I got myself a suit from the chippy next door and I went home (laughs) And uh... (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I remember my first lap dance it was some old guy generic can't remember really Um, yeah yeah, I just remember being naked on all fours vagina out Mm. it felt very strange because it felt strange not like it didn't feel like empowering or degrading it was just a new experience that was very strange. yeah that's all I describe it and that's what i really remember off it was just like whoa this is different
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then so in terms of like the the money aspect then how does it work in terms of how much money you make like do you do they get a certain commission from do you get a certain commission from the money that people want to spend on you
1: um, yeah well it works differently in different clubs so some clubs mm. take a percentage of everything that you make um, mm. and that percentage might get less the more you make and other clubs you pay an upfront fee to work um, but then you would pay a percentage if you do like a group show or mm. fee as well on top of that um, or they might charge you more if they think it's been a good night even if it yeah. Um so yeah it's it's different for different clubs,
0: yeah, and did you did you feel like was it kind of how quickly was it before you felt like financially liberated and and that you started seeing like the benefits and like financially in terms of stripping
1: um it wasn't too long to be honest, I worked at that same club with Alex for a while. And then I went to a different club. I went to the Burke and Hitter, and that's when I, yeah, started making a lot more money. And I realised that this was this was going to give me what I wanted. Mm. And, you know, it was really good to be able to work on my time scale. It was really good to be able to just make money when I needed to, without having to stress out about, um, you know, yeah, without having to work for minimum wage. Because I think that at that time, yeah. minimum wage for me was six pound forty something. Mm. Um, which was just diabolical
0: Mm.
1: and to just not have to worry about that was just so good
0: I've set up a coffee.com page so basically if you want to support the podcast and me for the price of an oat milk latte then feel free to buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash it's Vivio. That's amazing. I think that's really great to hear. And I think like one thing that I certainly have formed my thinking around, I know, I know probably a lot of listeners may feel the same, but I, I think... I was so ignorant to sex workers, the sex working world and how it was all in our society. It's almost deemed as a less than job and like people are stigmatized and dehumanized and put into a box of, Oh, you must be doing this because you either have no choice or because of whatever, whatever reason it might be like you are forced into this type of role. And actually like, I think re- looking at your page and seeing that the work you, you're doing as well as like, listening to all the podcasts and, and learning more about the sex working world just how like it's it's like any industry like it's so nuanced and there's so many reasons why people go into it and actually it should shouldn't be something that is seen as less than a job and I think it's like certainly for me I have gone through this whole like why should we why are we illegalizing prostitution when we as women we should have agencies over our own bodies and should be able to make money from that if we want to. Um and that's why I think I was so keen to speak with you because you have really liberated this like movement on social media to to destigmatize what it is to be a sex worker. So it's it's really quite interesting, I think, just listening to to your story. What well, you did it for 10 years then. So what, what was the best thing about because well, you don't do it anymore now, do you?
1: No, but or, this is the thing about yeah. exiting though, and I think it's the same for all mm. of sex work, is that um, you know, people are always like, Oh, I'm exiting and hanging up the G string, blah blah blah. But then mm. but like when you need the money, you're going to end up going back. So there's not ever, I feel it's mm. hard to say, oh, I've quit, you know, like I've still got a bag in the cupboard with my dancing shoes and my lingerie, and I'm just like, <laughs> if times get bad, I'm straight back in there. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts about it. Um mm. so yeah, I have not been in there for the longest since I've started, which has been about Two years, I think. Best thing. <laughs> mm. I don't know, it's really hard for me to say. And that's one of the things because, you know, it's changed my life so much because I started when I was so young that the way I look at the world um, and so much of my personality has been formed by it. So I don't know because I always do often wonder if there was an alternative universe that I could look inside and I hadn't started this job, what sort of person would I be? What would I think? How would I think? Would I be as interested yeah. in gender politics? What would the art that I mm-hmm. make be like? What would. Yeah. Um, you know what would my interests be like what would my politics be like because i reckon they would be totally different if i hadn't started this job so mm. um it's really hard for me to say and it's hard for me to say what the best thing about it is i mean no i think the best thing about it is is meeting so many other sex workers who are just absolutely amazing and i think this is the thing about sex workers: that people go into it for different reasons people might go mm. into it because they have so very little choices people might go mm. into it just because they're curious um or whatever, but nevertheless, it's not an easy decision to decide to become a sex worker because of everything that you said. The stigma not being able to tell your family, not being able to tell your friends, mm. being ostracized, not being able to open bank accounts, um, you know, if you want mm. to pay your taxes properly under sex work, um you have to say you do something else. Um yeah, yeah. so it's, a, it's really not a difficult decision. And in society, in Western society anyway, and Chinese society too, I suppose, um yeah. we're being told that being a woman so much of our intrinsic worth is dependent on how we behave sexually on is Mm. dependent on our our sexual purity on at least pretending that we're sexually pure even if we're not that to throw that out of the window and be like fuck it I'm going to survive I'm going to make money I'm going to do what's best for me as an individual that takes Mm. a lot of guts yeah (laughs) Um, yeah like it takes a lot of guts it takes a lot of strength because we've been indoctrinated into this idea this whole time Um, yeah so to actually turn around and just say fuck it I'm going to do what's right for me I'm going to choose to survive
0: yeah it is truly empowering isn't it and I think even from just say say from like a a dating perspective or or sleeping with men perspective like you're right in the sense that we are so indoctrinated to feel like we have to as women come across as pure like and I think this also comes and it might be the circles that I'm in but especially other women love to slut shame other women and it's happened to me so much. And I've had to very recently just call out and be like, you can't do that. Can't You can't slut shame me because I choose to sleep with someone. I'm choosing it as a choice. It's not like I'm like, you know, they don't have the power here. We, they should be equal. It should be equal both to the man and the woman in terms of like having sex. And then if you, it's, it's very much like down to like their own internalized misogyny, why they feel that way towards like how women are seen as, um, impure if they are having sex with people and i know that i read in um have you heard of florence given um yeah, yeah. on instagram she's got a book called women don't know you pretty and she made a really good point because you know we talk we talk about like body count a lot don't we and like oh how many people have you slept with blah blah, blah. and how you know me as a single person i could have sex with three to four men a year for example and then that's seen as me being a slag or but then I might have sex four times in a year. Whereas if you're in a committed relationship with someone, you might have sex once or twice a week, and you're doing that way more. But for some reason, me sleeping with four men four times a year, having sex just four times a year, is somehow seen as like, oh my god, you're 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 racking up your body count. That's terrible. Oh my god, you're in double figures now, and it's just like it's taken me so long to get to this point where I'm like, do you know what? You need to. We need to stop doing this. As a society, and especially women, to stop doing it to each other because it's damaging and it's really, really, it's always so, so unfair, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, like, because most of my friends, don't do that like because they are sex workers it's quite yeah me to hear that this is still to hear that but I know it's still a thing that's going on because when I've spoken to other people they've been like oh yeah and this happened and I was slut Mm. and then my mind is just like but I don't understand the logic of it like because as you said your vagina is not going to get any bigger you know it doesn't fucking (laughs) know which dick is going into it
0: (laughs) yes It doesn't stay tight for one for one penis. Yeah, yeah. So
1: I mean, it just doesn't make any logical sense to me whatsoever. And then, yeah, and obviously, seeing how <laughs> guys are praised for racking up their body count, whilst mm. we are somehow shamed for it, it, just you know, unless you believe that women are lesser than or have less right to sexual pleasure and sexual autonomy, it's just not something that should be. You know, should be done. Mm and
0: yeah right, women
1: are terrible for it it's
0: really nice to hear that you um you don't have that because i think probably probably we exist in very different spaces in in that way like whereas cuz yeah i think it's maybe yeah maybe i just need to get better friends <laughs> <laughs> so so in terms of kind of what what challenges did you face i'm sure that obviously a 10-year career is such a long time so there, there must be plenty even me just working in my job as marketing i've faced so many challenges but what were there any significant challenges that you felt you faced working in this world Yeah,
1: well, it's evolved over time. And you know, that's the thing. It's very complicated. So when I first started, my my main challenge that I personally felt with it was I didn't like how I didn't have very much labour rights. I remember being fined for Mm. being on my period and being fined for being... What? Yeah, they accused me of bleeding on a rug. And I did not bleed on this rug. I can assure you I didn't bleed on this rug because... Um, I went. I went to the toilet, took my tampon out, and there was no blood on my tampon. So how can I have blood on this rug when there was no blood yeah. on my tampon? But nevertheless, I explained the situation to Alex, and he still fined me £15 to dry clean this rug that I did not bleed on. Um, that would never happen. in oh other God! You're yeah, also being fined for yeah. being on your period. So and being fined for being late to a shift, like literally two minutes. Being fined for going to the toilet without asking. Um, wow yeah just do anything to take money off you if they wanted so when mm. I started I was angry about the lack of rights I had as a worker um, and then uh, while I was dancing I started doing my first degree in English and philosophy um, at Edinburgh Uni and one of the modules I took towards the end of my time there was philosophy of feminism so I always saw myself as a feminist mm. um, clearly Um But I didn't understand why feminism didn't like sex work. And I didn't really get the argument until I took that particular module. And Mm. um, so the argument that that I then ended up mulling over for absolute ages that I learned through this uh, course is that sex work is bad because it makes all women look bad. So, Mm. because it contributes to gender inequality, apparently. And this is an argument that's used quite a lot now, um, okay. even against sex work. And to me, it's really infuriating because uh, most of the time it's been said by other women who are incredibly privileged come from yeah. positions of immense power. I mean, the woman that made this argument in like the 90s um yeah is like works I think was educated at MIT and is a professor at Harvard and she's accusing sex workers of perpetuating gender inequality it's like come on (laughs) look at yourself stop throwing stones at us from your ivory tower you know I probably wouldn't start sex work if I could afford to go to MIT do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um And secondly, why is there so much focus on sex workers when there's loads of other things we do in our society that are just like really insidious, that are much more commonplace? Like, for example, look at romance novels and how they depict Mm. women as submissive and that. Disney as well. A lot of issues with Disney. Um, Why are women still taking on their husbands' second names?
0: Mm. You know, yeah.
1: I get letters from the council, I don't know why, but they call me Mrs and they call me my husband's first and second name. There's no mention of my name and it infuriates me. My blood absolutely boils. Why is that normal? Yeah. But then again, no one's fighting against that. Um, and it just seems absolutely crazy to me that you'd focus all this energy on a group of women that are just trying to live.
0: Yeah, just um, literally just trying to survive.
1: <laughs> yeah, that are just trying yeah. to live. And then as well, this assumption that it is the commercial nature of the transaction that makes it objectifying is just absolutely stupid. Um, you mean, I mean, like, if you hire a nanny or a cleaner or a secretary, you wouldn't immediately start treating them like shit just because you've, like, hired them, you know? You'd still mm. be a human being. Um, And it's the same with sex workers. You would still know you're interacting with a human being. I'm not saying people don't come in and they're not misogynistic and horrible to us. They absolutely are. But that's not because mm. of the work or the nature or the transaction of the work. It's because this person is a fucking asshole <laughs> you know like the same same sort of customer that would be rude to me in work would be the same sort of guy that would harass one of his colleagues for wearing a short skirt or slut shame mm. um a rape victim but for some reason it's sex work and sex workers that are blamed for this rather than the actual mindset
0: yeah it's uh, the onus and the blame is put on the sex workers rather than the systems and and how the systems aren't there to protect sex workers at all it's yeah, it's so unfair. It's so unfair, and so obviously that's obviously a very very big challenge. Then, so when it came to kind of like your family, then would they were they aware of you being a sex worker at all?
1: Uh, well, they know now. Um, yeah, because I ended up breaking up with my first boyfriend um, mm. because I found out he was stealing money from me. <gasps> whilst he had been shaming me for stripping, even though he was basically yeah. living off my earnings.
0: Oh my God, men! I, know. Chat. <laughs> <laughs> I hate men so much. But,
1: <laughs> gosh, honestly, like, <laughs> but, yeah, the audacity. Yeah, that's how I told my parents about it, and my mum was just not very sympathetic. Mm. She was just like, "I don't understand how you can be at such a good university but still behave in such horrible, unclassy ways, or whatever it was." And mm. she was like chasing me around Tesco, screaming at me and stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no not in Tesco uh, it's oh, It's just like it's not one or the other is it like I think and I, I'm sure that I'm sure if I ever went into sex work, my parent, my mum would probably have very similar views, you know. And to an extent, I can understand that, but it's just, it's not binary. It's not as simple as, like, you are a good person because you study at this university and you are a bad person because you do sex work. Like, it's just so, it's so—it's such a simple mindset, but equally, I don't blame them for having that mindset. Have they kind of like, mellowed in that then? Have they come around and been receptive at all or...?
1: No, they just don't think about
0: it. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they just don't think about it and we don't really talk about it. And then if it's brought up, they just sort of do this face (laughs) like...
0: Yeah, it's just sweep it under the rug and pretend it's never, it's never, ever happened. Yeah. Did you date at all then when you, when you were working and and how, and how was that experience of dating?
1: Um, Well, I had my first boyfriend the one that was stealing mm-hmm. money from me and then I was single for a while and yeah I did see a couple of people um before I met my current partner who I'm married to um and then I continued working when I was with my current partner for about two years or something I think and then yeah it's fine it's fine I mean um none of them have loved the fact that I did what I did but I've always felt very autonomous over my body and it was my job so I made it very clear that I would never give up my work um, and yeah. my income for a guy uh, yeah. so they always knew that they just had to get over their discomfort of it um, mm. so it wasn't ever really a big issue I think the big issue was with the guy that was stealing money from me but that wasn't necessarily to do with the job
0: <laughs> he was just sounds like a loser <laughs> He <was> just, <laughs> a massive loser who can't make his own money and he yeah. wants to steal from his girlfriend. I know. I think this happens
1: quite a lot because I remember there being another dancer who was concerned about the same thing. She said she was like putting her money into a drawer and stuff and like in her underwear drawer. Like oh missing and we we're all just a bit like, oh God, not again because it does happen so often.
0: Yeah. yeah. Why do they think they have, the, just the audacity, like why do they think that they're entitled to Your income, it's your job. Like, is it because it's just cash and it's there? Like, what is the logic? Like, how do they think that that's okay to do that? So did you, how did you call them out on it then? How did you find out?
1: Oh, about my ex? Oh, my God. Well, basically, like, I would come home and then, like, obviously, I'm really good at counting money because that's what I do. Like, I sort the toilet mid-shift and count my money. Um, And I think (laughs) I'd made a certain amount. But then the next day I'd wake up and I'd be missing, like, 20 pounds, 40 pounds, 60 pounds. And I would say to him, oh, God, I must have miscounted my money again. I'm so stupid. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you must have miscounted it. Silly you, silly you. Um, And then I would keep, like, my money in a (laughs) shoebox in Mm. a... Suitcase, and then one day I just thought, you know what? Like I've had enough. Am I going crazy or not? So mm. I made a mark on the shoebox, and I turned it a certain way, and I knew that that's the way that I put it in. So if someone had messed around with it, the mark would be like mm. elsewhere in the shoebox if they didn't put it back in the right place. And that's what happened. So I confronted him about it, and he was like, "Oh, it wasn't me. It must have been my friend." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "No, you're the only person that knows that's there." Yeah. And eventually admitted it. I mean, it, it- was a horrible shock. We were together for like almost four years.
0: Wow! So, and you completely trusted him up until yeah. that point. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's really tough. And you were you living together? Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so traumatic. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. I can't believe that happened. And then, so he admitted it. So was he was he having money troubles or anything like that, or was he? I
1: don't know. I think he was just spending it on weed. I think he was just lazy, to
0: be honest. Oh what he yeah, sounds he's such making... a loser
1: well, like you know that way when you're young you just date absolute trash guys and you just think that you have to try and be a nice person to sort of make up but... oh yes yeah.
0: Elizabeth I know that all oh, too well I've know. dated way too many like, trash guys
1: yeah honestly I mean you, you just like you try and be nice about it be like oh no don't be judgmental blah blah no no you have to be a nice person to give them a mm. you know and then when really you should have just been cutting out that bullshit <laughs>
0: yeah i know i think i'm definitely even now still still learning that like i i came out of a relationship and i've I've talked about this on the podcast before um which was very like abusive in other ways like very emotionally abusive sometimes um physical at some points um but but only a little bit though (laughs) only a little bit physically abusive not not too bad um but thank you I'm like it's really interesting because it certainly shaped my perception of men and I, and actually from that I think quite similarly to you in terms of like had I not been through that experience I don't think I would have I I do identify so much as being a feminist now because of the way I was treated and I think like now it's instilled so many like um just stronger values that I always had but I kind of let the boundaries be pushed on that and now that like the boundaries were certainly crossed I'm like okay yeah this is firmly within my identity now and it's something that I feel so strongly about because of a shitty experience with a man but in a way I feel liberated from it at the same time. Like I've learned so much about myself, I've learned so much about our society, I've learned so much about narcissism and, you know, everything else in between because of like this, it was only a 11 month relationship. It wasn't very long at all. And yet so much happened within that short time span, which has just given me so many lessons, lessons in life. Yeah,
1: that's Mm. the thing. Like I wish we didn't have to have our boundaries crossed to know where they are you know mm. yeah it wasn't stripping that taught me to hate men it was that first boyfriend that made me realize
0: mm.
1: that yeah you can really be out to get you sometimes and um, yeah you know especially the ones that you trusted the most
0: yeah absolutely and I'm so sorry to hear that so what other common misconceptions do you hear when it comes to sex work then
1: uh yeah, just the same old stuff about us perpetuating gender inequality, that we're selling our bodies. I think the main thing is that everybody seems to assume that because the money's there that we're being objectified, but that's really not the case. Mm, you know, yeah. yeah. The blame has certainly been been sort of focused on us, and I think people are just uncomfortable because they try to put themselves in that situation I and mean, when it's something that they can't envision themselves doing. They think, oh, how can anyone do it? But the fact is that everyone's boundaries are very different. You know, my friends provide services that I feel like I couldn't possibly do, but that doesn't mean that they feel like that. And yeah. normal people have looked at me and be like, how can you take your clothes off for strangers? And I'm just like, it just honestly doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. bother me in the slightest. I don't. I consent to being sexualized and objectified in this context. I don't feel like the person's disrespecting me, you know, um, because they're not at mm. the time. Um, but people assume, I think... It's very bizarre because so many people do have casual sex. And while the sex may not necessarily be good, it's still a consensual experience for a lot of people, yet they can't seem to understand why people can have a sexual transaction that might mm. not be sexual for both, for like the provider, but the provider can still be happy to, have, you know, provide a good experience, a safe space, yeah. et cetera. Um, you know, but they can't extend. So people can't extend what that sort of, do you know what I mean? When there's money, yeah nobody seems to be able to just see us
0: yeah there's like a there's like a value exchange on both sides it's not just one there's it's not a power dynamic of one person has the upper hand there is there is a value f- for both people involved yeah and it's and it's so much more nuanced than just it being like a yeah that per- the, the man has the or the, the person who is the recipient has all the power because yeah. I think it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's the case at all. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And it's it's really interesting hearing you explain that as well. Cause I think, you know, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that you had you don't really consider if you're outside of this world, just how the dynamics might be and just and just like how extremely nuanced it is as an industry. Um, so obviously so you I want to hear more about your o self project and there's a book coming out yeah
1: yeah I've, yeah the book is there already um they delivered it to my house the other day um Amazing. yeah so during the start of the lockdown I just spent a lot of time like naked in front of the mirror lip-syncing like a little idiot nice. who lost herself <laughs> Um, and no, I love it <laughs> yeah and I, I was um, because obviously like not leaving the house so I'm never getting dressed anyway and I started thinking why am I mm. not embarrassed like imagine if someone saw me doing this right now I'd be so cringing and I just thought do you know what I <laughs> not actually give a shit <laughs> like I actually yeah. not give a shit because And this is something that I've never really understood is that I feel like men like male artists and photographers and like even male ran corporations they are constantly using the image of women and the sexualized image of women to sell things or they're wanking over pictures of us or they're using us in their art but then whenever you see a woman sort of depicting herself either through a selfie or like presenting herself in a sexualized way on Instagram and I do this as well I'm just like what the hell is that slut doing she loves herself oh (laughs) and then it's like but why though if it was a man that took that Picture and he had like all these beautiful models on his Instagram. I Mm -hmm. do not have that reaction at all, which makes me realize it's just internalized misogyny. Mm -hmm. We depict ourselves and own our own image and own our own sexuality without it seeming like we're being narcissistic or vain, you know. And John Berger um, wrote a thing about this where he was talking about a particular painting and a mirror Mm -hmm. was painted into the woman's hand so that you can then make her connive in treating herself as an object when really that's not the case. So I was thinking about that in terms of selfie culture and I asked my friends to send me in um, a naked selfie that I would then draw and then to share like an intimate story about themselves, about like finding pleasure in their own body for like the first time or the most memorable time, something like that. And I was mainly thinking about how when I was younger, I would hump the shit out of all my teddies. And I always thought, (laughs) because I started doing it when I was like six or something. (laughs) And I remember doing like, I remember humping the table corner in front of my mum. And I think she just ignored me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It does make me think actually, like how I'm going to address that with my kids. Because I remember having those thoughts when I was a kid as well like why do what what these feelings of like you know touching yourself or anything but then you're like oh it's wrong i shouldn't be doing this it feels really wrong and it's really interesting reading your O to self um the instagram pages and all the the different stories and how a lot of them focus on like when you were when we were so young and then i'm like oh shit i'm not a weird i'm not a weird person who just it wasn't just me just so all of us literally all of us have had these thoughts yeah yeah
1: basically all from like such young ages as well Mm. i remember i tried to mention this to someone i was like oh i was six when i think i had when i humped something and i think i had my first orgasm and they were just like what never mentioned again until now but yeah, yeah and but talking about it and everyone else being like yeah oh yeah I did the same or yeah I did the same but it was like my fist or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it just made me realize this is clearly something we all had the inclination or a lot of us had the inclination to do mm. younger and I don't think we should have been made to feel ashamed of it it should just be something that's like oh yeah you just go have fun with that you know?
0: mm. yeah I do I do think about this and like if I ever choose to have kids or want to have kids in the future just like how yeah how do i make them not feel any type of guilt when it comes to sex in any way and how do i make them feel like they have the freedom to express themselves because we just it's just so ignored it's so ignored i don't think i've ever mentioned it to anyone except for you like just now (laughs) (laughs) but that when i was a kid i was like yeah i touched myself and i was like oh my god (laughs) <laughs> oh, why, why are we doing this no.
1: yeah it's so funny Yes, yeah, someone yeah in my OT selfie series was talking about how she always did it when she was young as well and she would always think that now it's going to make her really ill so every time she got a stomachache, she'd be like oh no it's because of the masturbation <laughs>
0: <laughs> that must really fuck you up like to think that like because you're masturbating you're gonna get ill <laughs> Oh my god, it's just so fucked up, isn't it?
1: Someone else told me that they thought they were going to die as well. So they went and told their parents they're like, oh, like, yeah, I think I'm gonna die. <laughs> but they didn't say it's because of the masturbation.
0: They didn't tell them it was the masturbation, just just yeah, I'm gonna die, but I can't tell you why. <laughs> It's hilarious, and that's why these projects and these this book is so important, and it's incredible. If any listeners are out there, please go and follow. I'll put all the links in the show notes because it is such an incredible um depiction of just you know sexuality and how there's so many things that we just don't talk about that needs to be talked about. And also, I want to talk a bit about if you want to tell the listeners a bit about Dirty Slut Mouth as well, and the, what's the purpose of you creating this.
1: It, well, so basically, um, Dirty Slutmouth came after I met uh, another dancer in LA called Susan, and we were just really fed up because I think after Hustlers came out, there's been a lot of appropriation of sex work culture and. Uh, mm. by celebrities and in the media and things and it's just it's quite infuriating I think for sex workers who do have to suffer such a huge amount of stigma and you know aggression and legislation and bad policies to see the best and most fun aspects of our work and culture be appropriated mm. by people that would never have to go through and um, go through what we go through you know the shittier side of it so we decided that it's about time that we have our own publication where we welcome and invite the voices of all sex workers Um, regardless of what kinds of work they do, and just try and put it all together. And that way, if there are so many different voices and so many different stories, then it would be really hard to be pushed into the binary narratives of empowerment or degradation because, you know, there'll be so many different things that won't fit into any of these things. Um, Mm. Just the need to actually have a platform where our voices are not filtered by anyone else or manipulated or misinterpreted. You know, mm. And there's clearly an art form to what we do, given that celebrity culture keeps on appropriating it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's something that we want to archive because you know, there are so many hilarious stories and there are so many clubs and different venues that just no longer exist apart from in our minds because phot- photography is not allowed. So the club that I first started dancing at, it's quite a shock for me to realise that there's basically hardly any photographs of it. It doesn't exist anymore. It's now mm. a beer garden or something. It's like a beer, I don't know um like just a craft beer bar um it's like it just never happened at all
0: yeah yeah that's so interesting so so how will you kind of um show it visually then you know w- would it be through your illustrations or would it be through photography in some way yeah, well, I think, yeah, people's
1: stories. And also we're thinking about asking people to put, up, put on like playlists. So if you work at a club, but during a certain period, they most likely will mm. have like the same type of music on. So people that's worked at a certain club from this year to this year can maybe put together a playlist for that particular club. Um, and yeah, cool. people can submit their artwork and um, their stories. We do have some footage as well, but it's always very grainy. And to be honest, I don't even have that much footage of me in the club because I was always too busy hustling. Um, but mm. Whatever bits and bobs we have anywhere, it would be really good to be able to archive it all in one place.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that. And I think the only ways I can draw parallels, I guess, are through my own experiences. But when you talk about how like other forms of media have de- depicted certain communities different ways, I think it's very much like I feel like that from like just being East or Southeast Asian and how like, you know, obviously with everything going on with coronavirus, like that's why we be seen was born because it was a platform to bring our voices in a way that we want to be seen rather than in a way that like other people appropriated or represented us because it's always just it misses out so many things um so i think it's incredible what you're doing i think it's a really really um just it needs to be talked about more and it needs to be normalized so thank you so much for coming on the podcast i think it's been. So, i feel like we've only just got into like you know the surface in terms of in terms of like your life and, to, and it's just so interesting <laughs> and so fun to talk about um is there anything else to plug where can people find you what else would you like to, to share
1: yeah uh, i think i think that's it i mean yeah people can find me on instagram at fem f-e-m-m-e dot castrice uh, c-a-s-t-r-i-t-r-a-t-r-i-c-e I think that's
0: it <laughs> i can't confirm that because i'm so shit at spelling but we'll take your word for it and yeah. i'll put it in the the show notes below as well
1: yeah and there's a links to old to selfie and also dirty slut mouth as well on my page um oh and also if my current account no doubt inevitably gets deleted one day my safe account is studio.
0: uh your safe account <laughs> yeah i <Love that. laughs> Oh, well thank you so much Elizabeth it's been it's been really fun having you on and i think it's really important to be talked about today